Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The One Up Project podcast. Here again with Rupert from Kura Kiwi Saver, and um, we're going to get into the three-step plan around making better decisions with your KiwiSaver essentially. Um, so I'll let Rupert take it away in terms of what we're going to focus on. But hello, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Back well, from an amazing week in Wanaka. Oh, how now, nice. Now back to the real world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Getting serious, but uh, we're going to make it fun, I think. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> well, this is my passion, right? Is yeah. How do we create a financial plan for people? And mm. how do we give people this, the really easy steps to create a great investment? And yes. we talk about KiwiSaver, um, and KiwiSaver is an investment, but it's actually the things that we're going to talk about here are no different to your regular savings, whether it's saving for a house, saving for a boat, um, or saving for your OE. It's mm. the, the same set of rules apply for any type of savings that we have here. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is the key where people think that it can only be for, you know, the they can't relate to it to other aspects of their no. life so this is going to be really good for that so I suppose take us away with take, what the let's first, get started yeah let's get straight into it what's the first so the most important goal when you're saving or investing is to understand your objectives so what, what are you saving for what's your goal um, because once you understand your goal what that does is that allows you to understand two really important things how much money do you need um, and that's going to give you, that's going to guide you as to how much do you need to put away every week, how much, mm. what sacrifices do you need to make to get there, or maybe you don't even need to make any sacrifices at all. Um, so it's really important that you've got an objective um, and you understand how much you need. The other really important point around understanding your objective is it means you can understand your time horizon. So investment horizon, a horribly technical word, word that basically means how long you're going to be invested for. Are you a short-term, medium-term, and long-term investor? Mm. And that's really important because that allows you to understand risk. The most important part. The most important <laughs> part. Um, so, and we'll come back to that in a sec. So, wh- once you've understood your objectives and you've been really clear, um, and an objective kind of it's always good to, to write it down or it's really good to think mm. about it. So it might be as simple as saying... I want to go over on my OE in three years' time, and that means I want to do six months travelling through South America. Let's assume the world's back to normal. Before I get there, that means I need $20,000. To have $20,000, that means I need to save X dollars per week um, with a little bit of assumption and therefore a return. So the more specific you can be, um, the better it is for your objective. Yeah, and I was going to say around that savings piece and having objectives is so important. I've been hearing recently about people who they will just save but with no goal and think, oh, why aren't I sort of reaching this place that you want to be? But it's like, how do you expect to get yeah. anywhere without having a clear objective of why you're saving in the first place? Because that's going to, I don't know, help you to work towards something rather than just sort of putting money into a bank account and... Oh, completely. It, it always goes. Um, and hopefully not putting money into a bank account. We'll come to that soon. Um, but, but look, there, there are a lot of people out there that are saving, that are investing, that don't have a specific thing in mind for mm. them. Um, 
But actually, and that, that's also fine because fundamentally if you don't have anything specific to save for, it is still a good thing to save. Mm. Uh, but I, but once you put your head down to it, there are always things. So me, I go, I own a house, um, I own a shitty car that I don't really care about. So I don't have anything specific to save for. So for me, it means I'm saving for my retirement. Right, yeah. Um, so I've got my little bucket of savings and that's where it goes. That's But it what does that mean? Even though I don't have a specific objective for that money, apart from my retirement, I know that it's long term. Mm. um, And I know I do need to get there. And I know what my weekly income needs to be, and how much I can put in there as well. So it is hard. But the more specific you can be, uh, the better you are. And then once you've determined your objective, the second step, which is the most important is actually understanding your risk appetite. Mm. And the reason why you need to do your your objective first is because the biggest determinant of risk appetite is your investment horizon. So how long are you going to be invested for? Okay. Yeah. And the the reason for this is generally risk and finance speak. What you'll learn is in finance we don't speak English. We have different words for different things. Yeah. So risk actually means volatility, mm. um, which means the ups and downs. So a well diversified portfolio of shares, for example will have lots of up and downs, um, so it's highly volatile. But at the same time, if it's well diversified, you're never likely to go to zero because yeah. fundamentally, if you've got a whole lot of investments and spread widely, that means the whole market's going to go to zero and we've got much bigger problems mm. if that happens. Um, whereas conversely, you think you might invest in cash or fixed income or bonds or property which have less up and downs, but they will deliver you a lower return over the long term. Mm. And so when we're talking about risk appetite and investment horizon, we're saying, well, how much risk you can take will depend on whether you can withstand the ups and downs of the market. Yeah. Because fundamentally, what we don't want to do is have you invested in two years out from buying a house, you invested 100% in the market, and then there's a market downturn which does happen, mm. it will happen, um, and then you all of a sudden you've lost 30% of your house deposit. Yeah, and I guess that's a, like we saw that this We saw year that in March. Mm. We saw a lot of people with their KiwiSavers invested in um, growth funds mm. when they were expecting to rip them out and buy a house very shortly afterwards and had to move them to cash, and that kind of destroyed a lot of wealth for people. Yeah. Um, so that's why investment horizon is, is a really important determinant. If you've mm. got a long investment horizon, you can take lots of risk. If you've got a short investment horizon, you can't take much risk because you don't want to be exposed to the yeah. market. And so when you say risk appetite, just to clarify, that's p- basically someone's allowance for volatility. Yeah, perfect. Mm. Um, and then allowance for volatility. And basically, though, if we then take one further step to simplify it, how much of your investment belongs in shares and equities mm. versus how much of your investment belongs in um, fixed income or cash and bonds. Yeah. Because cash and fixed income, very small ups and downs, but lower returns. Shares, big ups and downs, and potentially bigger returns over the long run as well. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, the, the second really important piece around risk appetite is to understand how you will react if the market turns and goes mm. down. So yes. what do we know? Every eight to 10 years, there is a market downturn where the markets drop by 30, 40%. Mm. Just happens, right? Um, and then the market can take anywhere from, well, <coughs> 
three months ago, I would have said it can take anywhere from two to four years for the market to recover, but in this new world, it only takes three months. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what what you need to do is understand that as part of, as as an investor is that that is what happens when you're in the market mm. and that is what happens when you invest. And so what will happen is if you take your money out or change your investment strategy while you're in the middle of a downturn, that effectively crystallises the losses and yep. means that you destroy a whole lot of value for yourself. And so crystallising meaning you kind of like set in those losses. Yeah, exactly. So we go, so let's talk about, let's go back to what's happened in the last three months in the market four or five months now March markets were down 30% um, if you'd kind of said okay this is really scary and I can't handle this and I'm going to take my money and move it from stocks into from the away from the market and into cash mm-hmm. on you've already you've kind of that 30% loss you've kind of turned it from a paper loss into a real loss mm. because all of a sudden over the next six months the markets have recovered and are back up to their peaks um, but if you've got your cash and it's been moved into a cash account, then effectively your investment is still worth 30% less than where it was. Yeah. Whereas if you'd held on to that value the whole way through, you'd be back to even by now. Yeah, so you've also like lost your opportunity to make it back. Exactly. Yeah. But that's crystallising the loss. That's a much better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, crystallising the losses is losing the opportunity to regain your losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why... That is one of the quickest ways that investors and people destroy wealth in the market is by reacting to short-term market movements. Mm. And so that's why if you are one of those people that think, you know what, I can't sleep at night when the markets are down and things are gonna, when things get ugly, I'm just going to get too stressed, there's no point putting yourself in that position. And so therefore you're not meant to take, you shouldn't be taking that much risk. Mm. We don't want to be causing people sleepless nights. Um, and even worse, we don't want to have people fretting every single day because fundamentally that means they will change their investment strategy during a downturn, which is going to cause more damage um, to their long-term wealth mm. than actually having a lower return portfolio the whole way through. Yeah, I was on an investing webinar the other night and they were sort of speaking about something very similar with people's shares in in terms of preparing for a downturn. Like no one ever is ready for when that happens and then when it does, they freak out and make decisions that, like you say, set in their losses. And um, so I think that piece about being prepared for when that does happen, because it will, is really important. Exactly. And so if you're clear on your objectives and you're clear on your investment horizon um, and then you've understood your risk appetite, that allows you to say, okay, to build out an asset allocation and build out a plan for you. Mm. And the most important thing about that is going, okay, I've done that, I've built that plan, and now I'm going to stick to it, no matter what happens in the markets. Yeah. Um, it's when you start reacting to short-term market movements, that's when issues happen, and that's when you destroy value in the medium term. Mm. And then the, the final part of our three-step plan is saying, well, where are you actually going to put this money? Um, because what do we know? Right now, banks are going to give you stuff all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm not sure there's not much, not, not a nice way to put it. Yeah, no. You, you're going to earn a lot. You'd be struggling to earn more than 1% um, per annum by investing in a bank right now. So mm. you need to think through, are there better ways and places to put it? Um, 
a lot of people want to go and invest directly in the share market and there are a lot of people that have done really well by investing in the share market over the last couple of months um going putting everything but i personally i'm not a big fan of of people investing directly into the share market i've been involved in the markets for well, a better part of 20 years and very 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 few people win yeah. um, in that game going and putting all of your money on Canis South here in New Zealand or going and putting all of your money on Tesla yeah. is not too different to kind of going red or black at the casino yeah for sure um, and so therefore my suggestion to everyone is managed funds mm. uh, figure out a managed fund that works for you uh, because the beauty about a managed fund is, is twofold or the most important point is diversification. Mm. So you will get access to a massive number of stocks um, or investments when you invest through a managed fund. Mm. And if you're choosing an actively managed investment fund, then you've also got the benefit of professionals making those decisions for you, and they're making those decisions off the back of a huge amount of research and effort. Um, Whereas when you go and invest directly on your own, First and foremost, it is very hard to achieve the same level of diversification that you would by investing through a fund. Mm. And that's because the costs involved, the transaction costs of doing things are too high. Um, Every time you buy a share, you incur a cost and it's generally a fixed cost. And so therefore it actually gets really expensive if you're gonna go and buy $100 of this share or $50 of that share or $100 here. Mm. Whereas you can achieve that through a managed fund. Um, And then the other point is the knowledge gap. Um, Where an active fund manager, they they will typically do months of research with dedicated analysts, talk to three or four brokers before they actually go and make an investment decision. Mm. Um, And so therefore us sitting at home with our Google search and our quick flick through the annual report, um, thinking that we can do better, I kind of struggle. <laughs> How true with. is that, though? <laughs> oh, it's what we all. It's what what happens, I'm right? So like that, yeah. um, and that's why I think. Look, one of the. That's why it's kind of just really hard, right? And then actually, then we t- roll it forward one more and go well. Actively managed funds versus passive funds. So actively managed fund is where a, a fund manager will pick individually choose the investments. Mm-hmm. Whereas a passive managed fund is where the investment is designed to track the markets rather than doing anything else. Right, okay, yeah. Um, and what the research has shown is that passive funds generally will outperform and do better over the long run than the actively managed funds um, because no one's very good at picking the Isn't markets. Is that what Warren Buffett always says? Yep. Like always put your money into passive investment Oh, completely. Funds. Yeah. So Warren Buffett, he made a bet in 2007 um, and he he went to the most successful hedge fund manager at the time. So hedge funds are the creme de la creme of active managers, right? These mm. are the smartest people paid gazillions of dollars to do really well. He said to the hedge fund manager, um, okay, you, if I, we're going to invest over a 10, we're going to a million dollar bet um, over a 10 year basis. I will choose a passive investment fund. So he chose the Vanguard S&P 500 fund. Um, the hedge fund manager was allowed to choose 15 hedge funds and whoever had the best best return at the end um, would have the would get the million dollars off the other person Mm. I think Buffett managed to deliver about 7% per annum through that period and remember that also included the financial crisis 
hedge fund manager delivered one or two mm. percent per annum. So he's a massive proponent of passive investing. What he does is a significant chunk of his portfolio is passive, and then he take a few active positions mm. around the edges. Yeah. Um, that that's where a lot of the theory is going is passive investing will deliver you better for two reasons one is low much lower fees yeah and second because you're investing in the market and it's very much a mechanical um, computerized way of investing mm. versus a whole lot of research um, and the second thing is no one can pick markets yeah um, as much as people claim that they can no one can yeah, no, I feel like I've been talking about this so much recently because we've been doing a bit of a test on the Instagram with some Tesla shares I just bought. But I sort of put it out to the Instagram and I said, okay, I can either invest in Tesla or the Vanguard S&P 500 VOO, which is that classic yeah. one. And um, yeah, everyone wanted to see me put the money into Tesla. So um, it's been funny. And there's like a huge education piece around that and what that's done. So it's been interesting to talk to people about how, yeah, you really just can't pick the market. So it's, it's really hard, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we actually had a complaint from a customer um, who thought that we were irresponsible for not putting a whole lot of money into Tesla around the stock split. Oh, that's an interesting uh, view. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was fascinating though, right? Because mm. um, then two days later when Tesla was down 25%, mm. um, the view very quickly changed. But I think that's the issue with retail investors. Yeah, they, They're reading what they read on the chat forums. They're reading what they read um, on Facebook or somewhere else. Mm. Um, they forget about the core rules around diversification, understanding what you're doing. Mm. Um, understanding the companies that you're investing in, which is why, I mean, to me, that's the perfect example of why a managed fund is the best way to invest. Yeah, I definitely agree. And also just to clarify, when you speak about shares, that's you talking about individual companies individual and managed companies. funds, yeah, uh, yeah, groups exactly. of companies. Yeah. Um, and so then, so once you've kind of, I've hopefully got you over the hurdle of why you should do managed funds rather than individual shares. Yeah. <laughs> you need to pick what's the right fund for you. Mm. Um, and here there are two things really that come into mind, or three things actually that come into mind. One is the investment style. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go active? Do you want to go passive? Um, I'm a big believer in passive, yeah. um, and all of the research kind of goes that way too. Um, I'm happy to have that debate with anyone else that wants to. Um, Take it up with Warren Buffett as well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the second thing around it uh, you need to think about is what's the right asset allocation for you. Mm. So KiwiSaver, really good example, right, where you've got growth balanced and conservative funds um, and actually aggressive as well. And all the way from aggressive having the largest allocation to shares, so to equities, mm. all the way down to conservative who've got the majority of their allocation to fixed income and cash. The conservative will have lower returns but lower volatility. Aggressive will have higher returns and high volatility over the long run. Um, and so first and foremost you need to understand is does the fund have the appropriate risk characteristics and the appropriate asset allocation for you and your objectives? Yeah, Number to one the goal. risk appetite which we spoke come, about earlier. Yeah, come back to the risk appetite. Um, and then once you've kind of got yourself comfortable on that, the third thing you need to look at when choosing the individual fund is uh, the f are the fees. Mm. Um, and are the fees egregious um, for what the fund is delivering to you? And I think one big misnomer 
is the difference is high fees bad, low fees good. Yeah. Um, and generally that's right to a certain extent. But fundamentally, particularly if you're going into a passive world or going to a, a more, um, yeah, just particularly you've got to make sure that asset allocation is right. Mm. Asset allocation will deliver to you far more than a 30, 40, 50 basis point difference in fees. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the things that people forget about. Um, it's about a lot more than just fees. Yeah. Your investments come down to um, the style, the manager, um, and the asset allocation with fees kind of being an important driver, mm. um, but by no, ma- by no way the only driver. Yeah. And then looking into that asset allocation, what's the easiest way for people to sort of find that out? Would that be? So my, well, a little bit biased, but I would say if you're think, trying to think about, if you've got an objective in mind and you're trying to figure out what, your, um, what the right asset allocation is for you, at Cotter, we've got a tool on our website that will build people individual um, portfolios. It's only set up for KiwiSaver at the moment. We're about to change that. <coughs> um, but select the house option and then select when you want to buy the house. And then that'll also ask you questions around your risk appetite. Mm. Um, and then out of that, you'll be delivered the appropriate asset allocation. So out of that, it'll tell you 20% um, fixed income, 80% equities or 50% equity. If you're a short-term investor, it might be 40% equities, 60% fixed income. Yeah. And so I'd be, that's a really useful tool for people to use, even if it's not for your KiwiSaver, but you can set it up for your other objectives yeah. as well. Um, and if it's not for a specific objective, just either use the retirement option um, or set your house option to 10 years or more. Yeah, because I think that's another important point is that this sort of plan that we're going through here is not only relevant to KiwiSaver, no. but just your financial it's everything, situation right? in it's, general. Yeah, and that's the most important part. Mm. Um, and I know it sounds really complicated, and I'm petrified as I'm talking. It's harder to talk on a podcast than it is to write it down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it sounded very good. But fundamentally... Once you boil it down to those three or four basic concepts, mm. it becomes really simple. Um, once you also get yeah. across it as an investor, you also remember that your job is to make money, but it's also to protect yourself from the downside. Mm. And it's about finding that appropriate mix um, and that there is no easy money. There are very few people that have managed to buy Tesla early and put all their money there and then just right away into the sunset. Totally, yeah. Um, once you get your head around some of those things, actually it becomes really simple. You're just setting yourself up a basic plan to, to stick you for the long term mm. and then you just work with that. And you know what would actually be faster is if people would stop trying to think about what's the fastest way to get there and actually set up a solid plan. Oh, and completely. You'd be, doing, you'd be through less downs if that was the case. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about that, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a really good article from Diana Clements in the weekend in the Herald um, talking about KiwiSaver. And the first four bullet points from her were just do it. Yeah. Because the earlier you start doing it, um, the less you kind of dither and just get involved. doesn't matter if you've made the right wrong decisions. Mm. Just start investing, start early. That's the most important part of it. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, that's awesome. So three steps being set your objectives, Work out what your risk appetite is and then decide where you're going to put it. Yep, simple. It's as easy as that.
exactly. <laughs> That's so great. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that before we end? No. Um, I think do try your best to keep it simple, mm. um, whether it be your KiwiSaver, whether it be your own personal invest- investments. Um, don't overcomplicate it. Mm. Don't think that you're going to double your money in six months or 12 months or 24 months because yeah. fundamentally that's just not what happens. Yeah. And if that's the approach that you're going to take, be prepared to lose it all as well. Mm. Um, 100%, yeah. And so what time and time again, being slow and steady wins the race when it comes to an investor mm. um, and having the right plan is the way to make sure you maximise your value. Mm. Totally agree. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on again. My pleasure. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, Be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at The One Up Project. And I'll catch you on the next one.